I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with David Tupin. David is a multifamily real estate investor and entrepreneur based in Austin, Texas. Uh, he started at age 20, which I think is pretty amazing. And, and I'm actually going to let David tell you his story. But first of all, David, thanks for, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously, you started at a young age, but, but why don't you just give us a little bit about your background and your story and, and kind of tell us what got you started and, 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 you know, give us a little bit of your journey. Yeah, I grew up outside of Detroit, Michigan, um, in the suburbs. And I was an entrepreneur from a very young age. I started my first business when I was 13 as a landscaping company. Uh, and so, you know, naturally I got into college. I wanted to get into business somehow. I did some, like some time in investment banking, uh, consulting, did some internships and, um, just didn't love, like I learned a lot from it, but I didn't love the corporate environment. I wanted to still run my own business. And so started kind of exploring networking with people and I found real estate and then obviously, you know, rich dad, poor dad, and you kind of get in that whole rabbit hole. You start yeah. figuring out like, where do I fit in this real estate puzzle? Cause there's so many ways you can do it from wholesaling to flipping to triple that, whatever it is. So, um, I kind of landed on apartments and, you know, for me, it was like tunnel vision at that point. I just ended up going all in. And, uh, my whole goal was how do I go and find a good deal to buy and I'll figure the rest out later. So, I got um, actually two 12 units. I was just making so many offers. I got two 12 units under contract in 2016 from two different brokers, but it was, the properties were on the same street, which was kind of cool. Um, and so I ended up, you know, never raised money before, or bought any property. So uh, never syndicated. Um, and this is in, like I said, in 2016, 2017, back when syndication wasn't, you know, there weren't a bunch of courses out yet about it and all that stuff. So uh, it was kind of like school of hard knocks. And I just got in there and figured out, hey, this is how you raise money. And this is how you put a syndication together is what a PPM is. It's just learning kind of by doing. So um, that was my first deal. Fast forward to today. I, I moved to Austin, Texas three years ago, moved the company down here. I've bought a little over 1,200 apartments, um, commercial properties, uh, some industrial um have done some development, ground up developments as well. And, uh, and I own a software company as well. So. Awesome. That's, that's a lot in a short period of time. When you were the, were the 12 units in, in Detroit or had you come to Austin by then? Like, did you. Those were Michigan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not quite in Detroit, but they were in the suburbs. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And cause I, I've heard you on other podcasts stuff, like my, you moved to essentially house hack one of your one of your apartment complexes, right? Is that, is that correct? I did. That was still in Michigan. Um, okay. I, moved in, I moved into it as a 96 unit and uh, I had uh, syndicated. It was the hardest capital raise to date still. It was the hardest just because it was so fresh. I was so new and it was, it was 1.7 million I had to raise 
Um, but I, I moved into it. I hired maintenance person, onsite manager. Like I had, you know, the manager quit. I was leasing units. Maintenance guy was a drunk, had to fire him. I was doing maintenance. Like I had to hire new people. I went through everything on that deal. So it was kind of, it was kind of cool though. Cause like I, I literally got to be in every single position in, in the totem pole, you know, and, and got to see what it, what it takes to like hire the right kind of leasing agents and, and how the accounting works and setting up property management softwares and all that stuff. So it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure that's, it really is, it's gotta be a kind of a great learning experience right in the beginning too, where it's like, here you are, you're doing all of those parts. Now, you know, you know, on that property and future properties, what, what works well, what, you know, kind of able to, to really implement that in, in being on site, I'm sure made that, you know, you're not trying to manage this from a distance and, and be the <laughs> leasing yeah. engine and maintenance guy and all of that. So exactly. that, that's pretty cool. What did you, you mentioned that that first capital raise was, was to date the hardest one. And I think that's it's probably generally true, right? People's first capital raise is going to be the the hardest one because nobody knows you in that space. What, I guess, what challenges did you encounter and then how did you overcome them? Yeah. Well, my first, my first were a little smaller on those 12 units. Um, I think I raised like, it's like uh, just under 200 grand for each of those. Um, and that was, that was tough in itself as well. Um, I, I was just going to meetups, networking, anyone that I thought had money and the ability to invest, I would hit them up. If they said no, I'd ask them for a referral. And so, uh, you know, I kind of got put through the ringer on that and, and having no track record, it made it very difficult to convince people, um, you know, to invest with me. You know, I'm young. I was 20 years old, no track record, never done it before. Uh, why should you trust me with your capital? Um, and so I ended up finding a couple of small business owners, local people who like flipped houses uh, but were, you know, fairly successful and they flipped houses kind of on the side or stuff like that. Right. Other people kind of in the real estate space already and wanted to diversify into a syndication. Um, but the, yeah, the toughest one was on that 96 unit. Uh, I, I had, I talked to hundreds of people, uh, to get, I think like 25 people to say, yes, I, I tracked every conversation. I think I had like three or 400 conversations. Wow. Um, and it just said, you know, 10% of them to get less than 10% of them to say yes. Uh, but the biggest thing that I learned was what you do and how you pack. There's two things. How you package the deal is extremely important. I started off pitching that deal with a Dropbox link that had photos and underwriting and like a Word doc with a summary of my business plan. I don't know, you know, I, I guess it was just being caught up in, in the weeds, you know, and never thought to put together a pitch deck. Right. Uh, and so, right. And like I said, there weren't courses about this stuff at the time. Uh, and so um, once I, I switched up like halfway through capital raising, I was getting like 2% of people to invest of the conversations I had. And then after that, I was getting like, I put a pitch deck together, kind of up to like 10 to 20%. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, and then the second thing is you can't hard sell people on investing. Uh, you, you can, it's just not going to work very well. Right. So when I switched up from trying to hard sell people to more just presenting an opportunity and letting them make a decision, um, that, that really helped a lot as well. Cause it turns people off when you try to hard sell them. And so, um, 
you know, yeah, it was great though. I mean, I did everything wrong so that yeah, I could yeah. learn like what's right. Yeah. So. yeah. I, and the, those are probably, you know, some of the, the best lessons too. And the, the, the Dropbox example is like a perfect thing. It's like when you're starting out, I, I would think like the thought process behind that is like, here's all of the information. But the reality is, is that most of the people that are going to invest with you until you get to that point of like high net worth individuals and family offices and all like, they don't know. They just, they just want to know you, right. They yeah. don't want to know. They don't know anything about all of the, the, the yeah. math and the, all the bit, the business plan stuff. They're just like, this is, they want to know probably what their returns can expect to be. And yeah. they want to know, like, and trust you. So it's a, you know, that, that pitch deck figuring out what goes in there, you know, is, is I actually think of another really good point that like, I don't know, you don't hear a lot of people talking about the, what the right things to put in a pitch deck are and stuff. Even, even now that there are courses, it's like, he, you should make a pitch deck. (laughs) Yeah, you should. Right. And there's only four things people want, right? They want to know, uh, they want to know the location of the deal, right? Like some people want to invest in certain markets. They want to see a picture of it. So they know it's real. They want to see what can anticipate their investment to turn into. All right, I put 100K in. What's you know what's it going to return? And then they want to be able to trust you. And as long as they get those four things, in my experience, most people really don't care. Honestly, I have dozens of investors nowadays that have done you know between five to ten deals with me, and I just text them and I say, "Hey, I've got another one." And they say, "Where do I wire the funds?" At this point, right? They don't even need to see it. So uh, it's it's it changes, but. you know, you definitely, you definitely need something that's simple, easy to understand and some, something that somebody can make a quick decision off of. It's if they have to come through a bunch of documents, they're just not going to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's too much. I mean, I had one investor at one point said, I sent him the, we did the webinar and I sent him the webinar recording and he was like, just, just send me a PowerPoint. I don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah. I don't, don't want to watch, watch that. He's like, there's like three slides I care about. Like, don't, I know. don't send me, I'm like, Okay, fair enough. That's you know, and it's just everybody, every investor might be a little bit different too. So you, you cater what what you present to them with. And then when you've got, you know, the track record that you do, then it becomes a lot easier where it's truly like, hey, I have another deal. <laughs> where do I where do I wire the funds? Like that's a that's a exactly. phenomenal position to be in. Um so you kind of obviously you know you've you've scaled up um and you've done uh, development as well at this point yep yeah i've done one development and i've done i've got well i've got two more in the works uh, self storage properties and then i've done one apartment ground up okay what do you we actually haven't had a lot of people on here that have done development what do you what are the differences that you find there? I, I, you know, when we have, we, you do a, the typical apartment syndication, even value add, you're, you're look, it's an existing bit structure. People can see it. They can see those pictures and then you're, you know, okay, here's what I'm going to do to make it better. What, how does that look different for you as the, the sponsor, but also like as you're talking to your investors about it? Yeah. Um, well, I will say I'm, I'm certainly not the expert on it because I've only done one. Um, but I do know enough about it to be dangerous. Um, development uh, comes down to a couple of things. Obviously, having the right piece of land in the right location and understanding what you can do with the land is really important. Knowing the land um, really 
it really either sets a property up for success or failure um, because you could buy a property that looks like it's great 10 acres. Hey, this city allows for, you know, high density, 25 units an acre. Okay, great. We can get 250 units on this property, but there happens to be a little tiny dry stream that runs through the front of it. And it cuts off any possibility of putting in, you know, two entrances and exits, which is what's required in that city. Uh, you need a fire turnaround, all this. Right? So there's these little things that you don't really know about when you get into it. Um, and there's other places where, you know, you can't build within a hundred feet of any sort of waterway. Um, so there's a lot of intricacies that come into play in development that you really need to uh, be armed uh, and, and understand and know about. And if you don't, you really need to have a good team behind you. Um, I have a couple of different civil engineers that I work with on our developments. And um, that's the first thing I do when I'm looking at a property or get something under contract is I'll send it to them and say, hey, take a look at this. Let me know if you see any hurdles or roadblocks um, you know, uh, with the property. So that's one thing. And you know, obviously things like utilities come into play. If you're building in an area where maybe they don't have water access or sewer access or electricity there, you know, so a lot of other costs. Um, my development was a 50 unit ground up. We're almost done with it. Uh, but it, it took forever, you know, the middle of COVID, uh, I we bought lumber at the worst time. I mean, God, it's, there's just all these, uh, all these hurdles that made me never want to do development again. Uh, but the project will actually still do really well. We, we, when we built it, we were projecting rents to be about 1200 and now the comps are all at like 16 to 1700. So the rents have, uh, have really saved us and done well. Um, but it is a different play. You're waiting a long time. I mean, you know, syndication, I can, I can buy a property and I've, I've flipped a 160 unit deal in six months. So, you know, you can do those very quick, um, you know, under a year for sure, but a development from start to finish, if you're buying um, land that's not entitled and, and zoned uh, and, uh, and fully planned out, you could take two to three years to get something from start to finish. And uh, as syndicators, it's like, you know, or, or real estate investors, that's a lot of time. You know, so like, where are you earning on that deal? Um, you're not making money until it starts cash flowing uh, or until you build it and sell it, um, which is taking a long, long time. So I prefer to buy existing properties. Uh, uh, personally, I like finding like, you know, value add type stuff. Uh, but I think for somebody who's really focused on development, I have some close friends who do a lot of it. Uh, that's their sole focus and they have multiple developments going on. It makes sense because after some time, you know, one development's going, another one just gets completed, another one's in the works. Like they have a pipeline at that point of, you know, either fees coming in or properties they're buying and selling and it makes sense for them. So um, maybe not for me so much, but uh, but it is it is a good business model for those who focus on it. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a, a big part of real estate investing is like finding out what what is your thing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's if you you want to try development, you don't love it. Okay, you don't have to because there's a million dollar different avenues in real estate investing that you can participate in and and make money and be successful and and exactly. all of that. So it's and it, it's it's a different. Uh, investor experience as well, right? Because as you mentioned, you're not going to cash flow until it's built. So, Pete, you know, your investors, you're talking to them about giving you money for 
a couple of years maybe. And then when they're going to get paid is really, you know, on a refinance or a sale or some, some sort of capital event. So it um, it's, it's a totally different, you know, ball game. I, I, I guess. Exactly. Um, speaking of a million different ways to be successful in real estate uh, let's talk about real estate lab. So that's definitely, I think outside the box uh, that, that most people wouldn't expect, you know, software development and things like that. So, Tell me about that. Tell us about, you know, kind of how you, how you got the idea, how you got started and got it through, walk us through that process. Yeah, I don't really have a tech background. Um, so I'm, I'm surprised myself that I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, at this point, I would never have thought that several years ago. But um, when I first started in the business, I think one of my superpowers was uh, underwriting and understanding the numbers. It made me feel really confident about the projects I was doing, which kind of, you know, led to raising capital and, and just understanding the process. And so, um, I built a spread spreadsheet early on. It evolved over time. I, you know, I'd been on a lot of podcasts. I was talking about it on podcasts, a spreadsheet, and I put it up on my website. And within 12 months, I sold over a hundred thousand dollars of a spreadsheet. at like 250 bucks a piece. And so um, to me, I'm like, man, there's, there is a market for people who want, a, you know, a good process or system or underwriting model uh, to be able to use when they're buying apartments or other assets. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I took that model and I went to some pitch, you know, kind of the idea to some uh, third party development companies, um, ended up hiring a company. Uh, two years ago, we started it and it was kind of slow at first, um, self-funded. And then I ended up raising some capital from friends and family. Uh, and, and now I've poured a bunch more in myself and we've really ramped it up. Uh, and we've, uh, we launched the beta earlier this year in January. And uh, we're kind of looking to launch our full version of the software by the end of this year. So we haven't really pushed it. It's still like word of mouth, uh, but we have a couple hundred users at this point. And um, what it is, is it's, uh, it's right now, it's a multifamily acquisitions platform. And so our goal is to help you manage your pipeline of all your acquisitions. What deals are you looking at? Uh, deals that you've kind of tossed out and maybe archived in, in the past. What deals have you made offers on? Uh, what are under contract? What deals have you purchased? So you can kind of manage your whole pipeline like a CRM. Um, within the software, you can uh, fully underwrite deals. Uh, you can actually upload a rent roll on a T12 as long as, as long as it's in Excel. The software will read it. It'll pull out the unit mix. It'll pull out all the key information in the T12 and put it right into the financial model for you uh, to try and minimize that time spent, you know, looking through the yeah. T12 and rent roll. Um, and so our goal is like, how do we auto-populate as much of a model as possible with some few inputs up front and uploading a rent roll in T12 and then let you kind of make some assumptions and tweak it. Uh, and then also bring in market data, right? We can auto-populate interest rates, operating expenses based on historical data uh, in a certain area. So our goal eventually is to really help automate the underwriting process and make it really quick and easy for people to underwrite deals accurately. Yeah, I mean, having all of that stuff being able to upload the upload the T12 and rent roll alone is a huge time saver. Yeah. You you're not going through and manually sorting and put you know <laughs> placing yeah, in each 20, unit 30 type. minutes just doing that sometimes. Right. Yeah. So if if you can have that automatically happen and then you have your your market data automatically populating, I mean that that you really can. I mean I I would assume 
you've got to go in and make sure that all of the assumptions really fit with with where you want them to be. But oh, it, it's it's a it's something that can save you a, a whole lot of time. And I'd imagine if you're especially if your your acquisitions are mainly in the same markets, you know, for for yourself, you 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 can use a lot of those same assumptions and kind of recycle them, and and it'll just make that whole process. Uh, dramatically faster. So that sounds fantastic. Um, you're so with something like this, I mean, I totally understand why you would have looked to kind of make your own underwriting model, because as someone who has used, I don't know, now six or eight of them different, tried six or eight different kinds. It's like, I'm, I'm at the point where I want to have, I'm, I'm not good enough with Excel, but like, I'm at the point where I want to have someone make one for me that does exactly what I want. Um, sure. So I, I, I completely understand that. Now are you're at, at this moment, it's multifamily, but do you, do you anticipate having it uh, be able to run other asset types through there? Yeah. By the end of this year, we're actually going to have multiple models in there um, for a multifamily self-storage commercial, all the above, and you'll be able to upload your own model and link it into the system so that you can use whatever model uh, you are used to or comfortable with. So we're making it pretty fluid and flexible so that, you know, people like their own model, they could use that as well. They like mine or the ones that we have built, uh, they could use ours. So it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty neat. I'll have to show you a demo. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's, it's a, like I said, that that time saver alone. And so the market data that's coming in, where are you getting that from? Are you using like a CoStar or Yardi or something like that and having that uh, link to it? How do you how do you manage that part? Yeah, so the market data will be next year, but from all the T12s that we get, we aggregate that data um, on the back end and um, based on uh, location and size of property and asset class, uh, we'll aggregate it, uh, pull averages, and then we'll be able to auto-populate stuff like your auto, um, operating expenses, contract services, repairs, and maintenance. We'll just take aggregates from you know seventy-five other T12s that we've that we've reviewed in your area, and we'll right. be able to provide that you know those aggregates and averages uh, into the model for you. Uh, it's not there yet, but next year that is uh, one of our big focuses. Oh, that, I mean, that's fantastic because I, I, I mean, if you're doing that, you're also going to be able to do it in a bit of a like a real time scenario where if you're if you're aggregating those T12s as they're coming in, it's those expense ratios might shift a little bit even within markets. Yep. And so if if you're, you know, <laughs> your T12s are showing that, you know, whatever it is, utilities are going up or any of that stuff, it'll it'll give you it would, I would imagine it'll kind of keep up with that. So that's, that's actually um, really pretty amazing. That That's very cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to check it out. Um, that's awesome. Um, well, David, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and I'll, I'll uh, get to the part where I get to ask you all the questions that I ask each guest. Um, sure. And uh, the first one is, is based on the name of the show being know your why. So um, what is your why, what, what drives you and kind of pushes you towards these great levels of success? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously there's, there's two parts of it. There's one is like financial freedom. I want to be able to live my life, you know, my dream life, however I want to live it uh, on my own terms. And so I think that's one of them, but the next thing is like for other people, um, I've always been a big uh, giver 
And I want to be able to really take care of my family, my friends, people around me. Um, and I really like uh, being involved in philanthropy as well and giving back. And so, um, you know, I, I have some pretty crazy goals that I'd love to accomplish on that side of things. And, and I just want to be I want to I want to create a lot of wealth so I could be a big giver because I get a lot of fulfillment from that. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to. Well, <laughs> Once your yourself and your family and friends are taken care of, it's it's you know kind of that that yeah. impact on a really large scale is is kind of I've also have big it's like it's just amazing and when I see I really love when younger people are doing this stuff like we I I just like when I talk to when I talk to younger people and I'm like trying to talk to them about investing like you have the time to really like really expand and grow and impact and it's just kind of a the power of time and all of this is is really pretty uh unbeatable i think so Agreed. good for you um second question is what uh tell us something i guess uh, about yourself that that maybe isn't common knowledge a special skill a hobby something that um maybe lets people know you a little bit better yeah i'm uh, i'm i'm training to be a pilot currently um, as a hobby. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I ordered, yeah, I ordered a plane earlier this year. It should come in early next year. So, um, I'm stoked. Yeah. And you're, so what, this is not part of the normal questions, but I've had a couple of people like, what is that process to, to train to be a pilot? Uh, so you have to get 40 flight hours. Most people do like 70 to 80, but you have to get minimum 40 flight hours. And then you have to um, you have to pass a written exam with a seventy percent or higher. Uh, I'd say it's similar to like a state real estate exam type of deal. Um, and then you have to do a final check ride, and you have to be able to fly a bunch of different types of maneuvers, different types of landings, takeoffs. Um, and then you have to pass kind of a, a ground school, like an oral exam which is pretty, um, that part is pretty intensive. So, uh, there's a lot of studying involved, but I mean, you could, sure. if you went hard, you could do it in a couple months, but I've been doing it for like a year and a half, just cause I, you know, it's hard to get the time to do it all. Right. And I, I should be done, uh, then the next month. So fantastic. Well, you, yeah, you gotta get, get done in time for uh, your plane to show up. So you can <laughs> take it for a ride. To. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when people, uh, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Yeah, Instagram at Real Estate Jedi. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook, LinkedIn, David Tupin. My websites are uh, real estate website for the real estate company is tupinholdings.com, and my software company is realestatelab.com. All right, we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, final question for you, David. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone who's getting started? Uh, you know, they're they're looking to, you know, kind of do what you do and have, have that level of success, but how, how would you tell them to, to begin? Yeah, go find a deal. I mean, you could read all the books in the world that you want or, you know, hire a coach or whatever, but they're not going to do the work for you. So uh, get out there and figure out how to find a deal because that's the start to everything in this business. You can't, can't be an investor without a property to invest in. Yeah, that's <laughs> sounds simple, but that's a very valid, uh, valid point. You got you got to have something to invest in. So um, awesome. I, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the time. Uh, I hope uh, I think you get a lot of interest on on the um, 
the software side of things. I think that that's super, like it, it, being able to do all of that and sort of automate. I mean, the amount of time that can save underwriters, especially, is is going to be huge. So that that's fantastic. That's the goal, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. We will go ahead and sign in. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.